Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky opens up our new series, Splinters of Doubt, and talks about independence and pride. He talks about Genesis 3 with the fall and how Satan gets us to question God to doubt him. Matt gives us three ways to combat independence and pride in our relationship with God. We hope you enjoy this message. Listen, I wanted to start a new series tonight. I've been chewing on it and thinking about it all week. I wanted to start this new series because uh, it's just been heavy on my heart. When I was a kid, uh, when I was like growing up and then into kindergarten and first grade, I lived in a log cabin out in the mountains of East Tennessee. It was a great, yeah, some Tennessee people? Sure. Go Vols. <laughs> Are you a log cabin person or a Tennessee person? Uh, yeah, cabins! Uh, I lived... Oh, you are East Tennessee. You are Tennessee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Okay. Uh, go Vols. I lived in a log cabin in East Tennessee. And it was great. We had woods and like huge yard and it was just out there. Uh, it was awesome. It was not like primitive. So for all of those like picturing like us on this dirt floor beside a fire, like in the cabin, it's like not, we had electricity, we had running water. It was just way out there and it was a cool like cabin. But um, I remember when I was in kindergarten, my mom had the entire kindergarten class over for a Halloween party. And I know, I know, my mom, man, give it up. Mama D, she's not dead. I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why I pointed upwards. I feel weird about that. Uh, yeah, love you, Mom. Uh, yeah, so we were at this Halloween party, and uh, I was dressed up as Satan for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I just remembered my brother was Peter Pan, and I was <laughs> Satan. So I don't know, guys. Anyway, so I remember I was outside, and, and I was uh, climbing the steps of the front porch to go in, and I remember my mom saying this, hey, honey, be careful grabbing the banister, or you might get a splinter. I remember her saying that, and I was like, okay, mom, <laughs> like, boomer, like, actually, no, because I was in kindergarten, and I was super sweet, and I was like, okay, mom. Uh, I grabbed the banister, and sure enough, I got this, like, like huge splinter in my hand, Log cabins are made of wood. I don't know if you know that. But I got this gigantic splinter in my hand. I was like, like, what has happened? Like, it was big. And I went to mom and I was like, I didn't listen to you. I got the splinter. And she took me inside and began to like dig in there with a needle and, you know, as one does with splinters and and got it out. And I I remember this as a kindergartner. Like, it was so traumatic. Oh, my gosh, I got a splinter. And she, she had to dig it out. And um, splinters have, have, splinters fascinate me, man. I, I, I am so diligent now about the removal of splinters. I, I needed to show you guys this. I have a, like a custom splinter removal tweezers. This is how serious I am about it now. I know. These tweezers have needles on the end, so you can both dig and pull simultaneously. Is that not, is that not what's up? Like, I take it. I take it seriously now. Yeah, because, because when I was in kindergarten, I was traumatized by a splinter. And I grew up with, like, I will always get splinters out. And now I kind of delight in it. Like, when my sons get splinters, I'm like, let me see. <laughs> but splinters fascinate me because, because they're so small, they're so tiny, that oftentimes you don't even know they're there. You didn't feel it go in. You don't know it's there until it's been in long enough to begin to irritate 
your skin, to begin to irritate what's around it. And then it becomes sensitive. And then you touch things or bump into things, you're like, ow. And you try to find it or see it in the light, and you're like, oh, I got a splinter. Splinters fascinate me because of the size of them and the effect they have on us. And if a splinter goes unchecked for long enough, it can actually cause some serious damage. I had a friend in college that got a, a thorn in his hand from doing uh, yard work with some rose bushes. He didn't do anything about it. It was small. It was like, ah, not big deal. It'll probably come out on its own. Nope, he had to get surgery to get it removed. He's got like this gigantic scar down his arm. Some of you guys know a couple years ago I had an infection in my arm that I left unchecked and ended up in the hospital for seven days because my body decided to poison itself and started pumping blood through my system and my kidneys shut down. My lung went inflate. I pulled muscles behind this rib cage, couldn't breathe. <gasps> like everything was going crazy and I had to go to the hospital and almost died. And though it wasn't a splinter, it's the same principle of like I had something in my skin. I handled it completely the wrong way. If you guys remember the story, I did what the doctor would have done anyway. I just decided to do it at home on my own and just use a, just like real quick, man, just take care of it myself. Didn't work. Got real bad. Splinters fascinate me because something so tiny can get under your skin. And if you don't take care of it, it can actually become a huge problem. Huge problem. And then to try to take care of it later is so much more difficult because your skin's so sensitive and now you got to like put an ice cube on it and numb it and then get in. I mean, it's like it just escalates. And I started to think about this, man. Well, we know how to take care of splinters in our bodies, right? But what do we do about splinters in our mind? Like, what do we do about thoughts that come in? And oftentimes we don't even know they came in. We didn't sense them come in. We didn't feel them come in. They didn't seem dangerous then. They didn't seem like they were going to fester, but they did, and they do, and they create all sorts of problems. What do we do about the splinters of our mind? I've been chewing on this all week, um, and, and it's, it's heavy for me because this week I, I got uh, a couple of updates. One was a friend and one was a family member, but both of them... One is wrestling in their faith, and the other is like completely walked away from their faith. But that, that's that's been a process. But um, over the years, I have just seen dear friends of mine who I went to college with to study the Bible, to study the original languages, because we sensed a calling into ministry, and we wanted to study and, and get sharpened as tools. Like we studied at a Bible college. I mean, talk about like nerd, right? I mean, I like, I want to learn in Greek and Hebrew. We studied together. I have dear friends who've been walking with Jesus a long time. I have family members who've been walking with Jesus. I have a lot of former students, just like you, who came out of Epic Retreat weekends and was like, Jesus! And now they're like, meh, Jesus. And it's been so heavy on my heart this week, just because I got those couple updates, but it got me thinking about all the others that have been heavy on my heart over the past month, few months, and I just started thinking and praying to God this week, like, what do you do about the splinters in the mind? Like, what do you do about those thoughts that come in on whatever day, at whatever age, this thought came in and begins to fester, and slowly but surely, it begins to create this reality where you start to question, and you start to doubt, and you start to kind of wrestle with your faith and with God and you come out of something like epic and maybe even some of you have experienced it even this week because there's a theme in life and in the scriptures oftentimes high highs are followed by low lows 
And maybe even for some of you coming out of Epic last weekend, this week has been a nightmare for you. And you don't even know why. Like you're wrestling with questions, stuff going on in the world has triggered you, politics and injustices around the country and the globe and child trafficking or relationships right here in your own circles or you had a fight with a friend or your home life is just bad or whatever, something's triggering you and you're like wrestling in your faith and, and you don't even know why and five days ago you were like, Jesus, here, now, right? Like you were singing it and then this week's been like, man, where, where did that go? And maybe for even some of you, you've fallen back into some of the old patterns of sin, of living. And you're just like, dude, what is going on? Where did the splinters in our mind come from? And what do we do with them? We can't just get tweezers and like, okay, let me take care of that. Let me deal with that. And I've been chewing on this all week. And so I thought, I thought man, what if we began a series where we just start talk, talking about the doubts that we have and the wrestling matches that we have in our faith? And, and I want to clarify real quick. And you guys have heard me teach on, on doubts before over the years. I don't think doubts are bad, okay? I think when people just condemn doubts right away, I think that's very unhealthy. Like, no, you don't think that. Don't think that. Don't say that because we're Christians and we believe this. Like, that's just, that's like a forced fitting conviction. It never works. I think doubts can be a good thing because they strengthen our faith as we pursue truth in Jesus. I, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm naive enough to believe that if Jesus says he's truth, doubts in life, once investigated, eventually wind up at him. I think the problem is we stop investigating. We become content with some detour we took, and now we're way over here when, in fact, the path of finding truth is that way. And so I don't think doubts are bad. I think doubts can be a very, very good thing as long as we allow them to get us to ask questions and, and pursue truth in, in our faith. But I, I was thinking, and what, what would be some of the splinters of today? Like, what are some of the thoughts that come in that would make us wrestle with God or doubt this thing or just, like, kind of give up on the whole thing? And if you're not taking notes, let me just go ahead and say, I think you should take notes, all right? This is kind of a, a big, <laughs> big message. Uh, you might want to write these down. The first splinter in our heads, I, I think, that comes along is personal pain. Like you experienced something in your life, something that hurt you, something that was painful, deeply painful, broken heart, something that kind of rattled you emotionally. And because you experienced that personal pain, it then led you to start questioning God or his character, or his goodness or his word. Because I'm hurting, you must not be good. You must not be real. This must not be real. And so one splinter that comes in is personal pain, where we project the emotions we're feeling to dismiss God's character. That's, that's one splinter. I think another would be the presence of evil. You look around the world, you're like, man, how can God be good and loving and in control if so much evil runs rampant out there? You got all this stuff going around the world. Netflix is releasing cuties! Don't even, uh, don't even get me started. Some of you guys are like, what's cuties? I thought that was a Clementine. You can look it up, okay? You look around the world, you're like, man, there's so much going on. How can God be good, loving, and in control? This must not be real, right? That's a splinter. I think another would be the cultural current. And so, like, in other words, imagine you're at this big river. The current is super strong. It's just sweeping downstream. And it represents the culture. And you kind of look at it and you're like, man, you know, sometimes this does kind of look good. And truly, that's why temptation is tempting. It wouldn't be tempting if you weren't tempted by it. 
there are things of this world that are appealing. And you look at them, and you're like, yeah, this kind of looks good. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be like tethered to Jesus over here, but maybe I could just get my toes in the water a little bit. Maybe I could just experiment a little bit. So you kind of wade into the water, and you're like, oh, this is not too bad, man. I kind of got this thing figured out. I got one foot on the bank, and Jesus, I got one foot in the Man, this is kind of nice. But, you know, over time, you're like, man, maybe I could just get like knee-deep in this thing. And before you know it, you're just swept downstream, man. I see it all the time. You start thinking differently, talking differently, like you buy into all these weird philosophies out there that logically don't even add up. You're just like compiling this mixture of beliefs and kind of religious philosophies in your life. You're swept down this river. It happens. I think another would be conditional faith. Another splinter in our mind would be conditional faith. Uh, This would be like, I believed in Jesus, but internally I had these conditions set in place that I didn't really vocalize, I didn't really talk to anyone about, but in my mind, by believing in Jesus, it would mean this. Doors would open for me, certain blessings would come to me, pathways would be allowed for me, these things would happen. And then as you get into it and you realize, wait a minute, God's not answering those prayers, he's not doing that stuff, he's not blessing these things, I'm out. And you had a conditional faith. In other words, I'll believe in Jesus if these things happen, but because they didn't, he must not be real. You put him in a box, and then he's bigger than your box, and you didn't like it. So you're out. I think another might be self-doubting. You begin to look at yourself, and you're like, man, did I really believe that? Like, I was seven. Did I even know what that was about? Like, did I understand what I was doing? Did I really say that? Like, did I commit to that? Or even your worth. Like, man, even if it was true, I'm not worthy of this thing. He could never forgive me. He couldn't wipe away my sins. Somehow in the history of mankind, I'm the one who has sinned more than God's grace can forgive. So self-doubting can be a splinter. And I think the sixth one, and I'm going to, you know, the last one I'm going to go down here. There are many. These are not the exhaustive list. But the sixth one would be this idea of, of pride and independence. This idea of like, man, I've made it. I'm good. I don't need God. I can do life without God. I can be independent. I don't need help. I don't need to depend on him. I don't need to submit to him. I figured out life without him, and I'm pretty content in it. I am okay. It's pride and independence. And it's this one that I actually want to run down tonight. So over the next few weeks, I want to talk through some of these. I want to begin these conversations, because you're thinking them. You're having them in your head, at least, maybe with your friends. And I know for a lot of the people in my life, um, the friends and family and students who are wrestling in their faith or drifting or done or whatever, a lot of them vocalized, I never felt safe to have the discussions around the questions, therefore I never did. And I'm just convinced if we don't create safe places to talk about the things that you're wrestling with in your head, then you internalize them and that's not healthy. That's called the splinter, okay? It festers, it gets infected, it becomes irritated, it never removes itself. So I want to talk about these things over the next few weeks, but I want to go, weeks, I want to go down this one tonight, the independence and pride, and I want to go all the way back to the beginning, all right, Adam and Eve, book of Genesis, chapter three is where we're going to be tonight, so go ahead and go there, all right, context of Genesis, uh, chapters one and two, most of you probably already know this, God has created everything, and it's good, He creates it all, and it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man and woman, and they are very good. Like this double level of good. 
And God has entered into and invited them into this relationship with himself. And if you can imagine this, in the book of Genesis, everything is in perfect harmony. Adam and Eve have perfect harmony with each other. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no insecurities. There's no comparison on Instagram. There's no, like, dissatisfaction with each other or bitterness or grudges being held. There's no communication breakdowns. Men, there's no misunderstanding what the woman is saying versus what she really wants. Hello, girls. The guy is actually saying what he means and is faithful and follows up with it. Oh, like, hey, like everything is in perfect harmony with each other. This is literally heaven on earth. And everything is in perfect harmony with God. It's a perfect friendship. There's no shame. There's no guilt, there's no hiding, there's no brokenness. It's perfect. God has created this paradise, this heaven on earth reality where he's entered into and invited people into a friendship with himself. And the world is not broken yet. And then comes the serpent. Intro chapter 3, the villain. Go back to Epic Weekend. The villain. God has given this expanse, this paradise to Adam and Eve, animals, plants, spaces to roam and play, and he's told them, hey, enjoy this, enjoy each other, everything is yours, except I don't want you to eat from this tree over here. This tree would actually hurt you to eat from. Everything else is yours, but this would hurt you. Don't eat from this. And Adam and Eve seem pretty content with that. They're like, yeah, cool, chill, let's do it. And they were living in this perfection with God and with each other. And then comes the serpent. And that's where we're going to pick up the story tonight, Genesis chapter 3. All right, so the the serpent comes, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he approaches the woman first, and he says this. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say that? So here it is. All right, I want us to pay attention to this. The enemy always, 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 then and now, always has three tactics that he uses. Always. And the first is to get us to question God's word. That's temptation number one. Question God's word. He knows that if he can get us to question God's word, then any infrastructure that's built upon the foundation of God's word will also be in question. So look at what he does with Eve. God has told Adam and Eve, hey, you can have anything you want, but this one tree, this one tree, just don't eat it. And the serpent comes along and he says, did God actually say that? Did he really say that? Like, I know you think you heard that, but did he really say that? Temptation number one is, he gets us to question God's word. He does this today. Hey, I know you thought you heard God say that to you, but did he, like, really say that? You're like, yeah, man, he, man I felt it. He, he did. It was, it was in there. Oh, wow. Like, you heard his voice? You heard him speak to you? Well, no, I, I didn't like hear him. Oh, 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 oh. So he said it to you, but he didn't say it to you. 
Well, not like he, he said, he spoke to my heart. Oh, like, how's that work? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I felt that. Yeah, okay. Um, and this book, like, he, he speaks to you through, through this book? Like, yeah, man, that's his, that's his word. This thing right here, like, <laughs> this book. <laughs> you think he still speaks through this? You don't think this is a compilation from a bunch of people with their own agenda? You think everything in the Old Testament still applies? You think this isn't some outdated, religious, agenda-driven book people have used for violence over millennia? Come on, man. God speaks. Did he really say that? Well, I don't know now. Look at what he does with Eve. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Temptation one, question God's word. Look at, look at Eve's response. And the woman said to the serpent, well, I mean, no, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, referring to the one tree. And neither shall you touch it unless you die. So what's interesting about, about this passage is Eve actually recalls what God said. The enemy comes along, he's like, man, did God really say that? And I think a lot of us begin to just scratch our heads. I mean, did he really say Like, I don't know, did he? What was going on there? <laughs> I eat some bad cookout? Like, what was happening? Eve at least has the fortitude to say, I mean, no, 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 no. He said it. I'll even recall it to you what he said. He said you can eat any of the trees except that one tree. Look, the enemy doesn't even play the game anymore. He's not trying to convince her about God's word. He moves on to the next temptation, temptation number two. Eve says, if we eat of that one tree, we will die. The enemy says, serpent says, you will not die. Come on, Eve. You actually believe that? Evie, you think God's going to kill you? Come on. Temptation number two, question God's authority. First is question God's word. Did he really say that? And then when you remember it well enough, serpent realizes, oh, she did remember. Okay, but you're not going to. He won't do that. Temptation number two, question God's authority. That God will not do what he said he will do. And so when that temptation sets in, we begin to live life under the premise that, I mean, I, 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 I'm doubting some of what God said. I can't quite recall it. But even the stuff I can recall, I'm being tempted to think that, that God's character won't follow through with what God said he will do. And then we begin to live life as if, as if there's no cause and effect, like we can actually participate in things without the consequences in our life. And then when our life begins to fall apart, we're like, hey, what's happening, God? How could you let this happen? We never look at our own actions to see our own problems that we've created. We always just point upwards. I thought I was allowed to do anything and nothing bad would happen. It's almost like God has created us to enjoy each other and enjoy him and enjoy this world and has given us some parameters knowing if we break those parameters, it's actually going to hurt us instead of help us. <laughs> Imagine that. And then when we begin to break those parameters, like, God, what are you doing, man? Did God really say that? God won't do that. 
Temptation one, question God's word. Temptation two, question God's authority. You're not going to die, Eve. Come on. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's temptation three. You're going to be like God. Or in other words, the temptation would go like this. You don't need God. You can do this on your own. You got life figured out. Man, you're basically an adult. Like 17, come on now, legally, one year later. You can make it. You can do it. People do it all the time. You think people all around the world believe in God? No, man. What happens to them? They just stop growing up? They stop making? No, man, they're fine. You can do this. Your faith is basically a geographical indicator of where you grew up and what your family believed in. It's not real to you. You're fine without it. Did God really say it? God won't do that. You don't need God. Three temptations. Still working today. Still the same tactic. Just wrapped up a little bit different in some different language. They sink in. And Eve's like, I I mean, you make a good point. (laughs) Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that fruit looks good, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband that was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. They broke the one rule God gave them, severing this perfect harmony that God made them. And when that was broken and when that was severed, all of a sudden, they experienced for the first time in their life, shame, embarrassment, regret, confusion. They looked at themselves, and they're like, what is this? I didn't know we were naked. (laughs) Because they had never experienced shame with one another. There was no category for embarrassment or for judgment or for ridicule. There was none of that. And the moment they severed the perfect relationship with God, their eyes became aware through shame of how exposed they truly were. And they immediately desired to cover up. So they found fig leaves and they sewed together some makeshift outfits. You ever notice how covering up is the immediate follow-up of sin? I know I did something wrong. How can I hide? Verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. Hebrew language, Hebrew ideology, walking is an indicator of friendship. So in other words, here comes their friend, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. First time in history. First time in history that man and woman hide from God. Happens all the time now. We've all experienced, we've all done it. But first time in history for them, because of sin, 
because they bought into the lie that the serpent gave them. God didn't say it. God won't do it. You don't need God. They bought in. Instant regret. Instant shame. Instant exposure. They covered up and they withdrew. Do we still do this today? They knew they had done something wrong. They hid. They hid among the trees of the garden. We're still hiding today, man. Oftentimes we're still hiding. Where did they hide? In the trees of the garden. That's, that's, that's familiar to them. That's where they were allowed to go. And oftentimes we still do this. We hide in the most common of places. There's probably some of us hiding in this room right now. Like if I just keep going to church, no one will know about my double life that I'm living. I'm going to go to where it looks like I'm supposed to belong. They belonged in the trees. That's where they were allowed to go. They hid themselves. They camouflaged themselves in the trees. God calls out. He called to the man and he said to him, where are you? I love this, man, because God, their friend, is coming to go on a walk with them. He can't find them. And he says, guys, where are you? I'm, like, I'm here to walk. And God is still relentlessly pursuing his people today. He's still calling out, where are you? I'm looking for you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. You don't have to hide from me. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I told you not to eat from? The man said, I mean, look, look at what Adam does, man. I mean, the woman whom you gave me, it's her fault. She gave me the fruit. Come on, dude. You're hiding from God. You're hiding your own body, and now you're hiding your own responsibility. Have you eaten the fruit? Adam said, I mean, it was the woman. She gave me the fruit, and, and I ate it, but, but she gave it to me. And then God looks at the woman. He says, what is this you have done? And she said, it was the serpent. He deceived me. I, I, I mean, I ate it, but it was the serpent. Look, both of them shirking their responsibility, man. Not even owning up to it. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Man, in that, in that one decision, in that one action, a curse entered the world that we're still experiencing today. Separation from God, the desire to hide from God, the desire to hide from each other. Through that one action, question God's word. Did he really say that to you? Are you sure he said that? Are you sure you heard him right? Is that really what the Bible says? Man, don't you know, like it was rewritten for this purpose and don't you, like people have gotten their hands on it. You can't trust it. I know it's been preserved more than any other writing throughout all of history and we have more data to back that. I Like I know, but come on, you can't trust it. Did God really say that? And even if he said it, he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. Come on, I mean, isn't God good? Isn't God loving? He wouldn't let harm befall you. You ever notice how Satan uses God's character to get you to question God's word? He's good. He's loving. I mean, there's not going to be consequences to this thing. Question God's authority. You don't need God. You're better off without him. It's outdated. You don't need that. You're fine. This is a splinter in the mind of pride and independence. 
yeah, God's word isn't trustworthy. God's authority, his character isn't trustworthy. I don't need God. Yeah, this makes sense. It's a splinter in the mind. How do we deal with this splinter? I would like to suggest three responses tonight in, in regard to these three temptations. Three applications to these three temptations. Satan's tempting us to question God's word, question God's authority, and tempt us with supremacy. You don't need God. You're fine. Independence. First, I, I would say this. That we ought to submit to God's word. Submit to God's word. Now, I know this is kind of like a double-edged sword, because if you're tempted to doubt God's word, it's going to be hard to submit to God's word. You're like, oh, man, like I'm doubting it. Why would I submit it? That doesn't make sense. I don't want to submit to that thing. I'm doubting that. I'm doubting if I'm even hearing God. I got all these voices in my head. I got so many opinions out there, and this person I follow on Instagram said this one thing, and it like really made me question some things. And now I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't submit to God's word if I don't trust God's word. And I completely get that. However, sometimes there's a principle in life where you submit to the ideal of something because you know it's good for you. Because you know it's good for you, even if you're wrestling to do it. And this is like, it, you boil it down to something as simple as going to the gym. Like some days the commute and like, oh, I got to go through traffic and then I got to get there and get changed. And like, but I know working out is good for me, but I just don't want to do it today, right? Like, but you submit because you know it's good for you. You know those things add up. Or it could be as big of an example as faithful in your marriage. Like, oh, man, one person for the rest of life, monogamy, Ugh. like, come on. But no, it's like, no, I choose love every day because I know it adds up over time. Even though I don't feel like it every single day. We submit to God's word because it's good for us. It's been good for us in the past. It's proven to be good for us at some point, And now we're submitting to it, even if we're wrestling with it. Right? So before we like totally disregard all of God's word, and that's usually the first step. It's like, I'm just done with all this. Submit to it during the wrestling of the faith. Like I'm not saying just believe it blindly and like forget the wrestling and forget the doubting and forget the process. What I'm saying is continue to submit to it while you're wrestling. Don't just disregard it. Second, we submit to God's word. Second, we trust God's character. So just recall and ask the question, God, have you ever done anything in my life that would make me question your character, your goodness, your love? And you've got to approach this with a fair perspective. You, you, You've got to be subje uh, objective about this. You can't come in with your own opinions and pre you know, preferences. And you got to ask God, man, have you ever done anything to make me question your goodness or your character? Have, you, have I ever experienced anything personally from you that would make me question your love, your power, your goodness, your character? You think through your journey. You think through where you've been with God. You think through moments like Epic. You think through the day-to-day. -day. You think through the grit. You think through the hard stuff. You think through the heartbreak. You think through it all. And you ask God, has your character ever been bad to me? Cruel, ill-intentioned, evil, villainous. And if the answer is no, then it leads us to the third conclusion. We reflect on God's work. 
throughout history, as many have experienced him, outside of just Greenville, South Carolina, around the world, throughout all of time. But we also reflect on God's work through our own life. We ask the question and we invite the question, God, what have you done in my life that as I think about it and as I reflect about it, I could not have done without you or your help or your presence? Maybe some of you guys journal, go back and read the journals. Maybe some of you guys set up like memory logs somehow, like marbles in a jar or something God did, you put something in or whatever. However you need to do it, start remembering what God has done, even if it's just open up a document on your computer and type it in real quick. But you reflect on God's work in your life and you start to ask the question, God, could I have done that or that or gotten through that or made it through that or processed that or transitioned into that without you? And if the answer is no then logically we depend on him. We need him. You can't do life without God because you're reflecting on all the times you're admitting, I needed you, I, I had to have you there. And for some, of, for some of you who are sitting there like, no, I've gotten through life without God, I, I would ask, was it good? Like how much drama is in your life? How broken are is some of the systems in your life? Like how much do you deal with on a daily basis that you just carry on your shoulders in this brokenness and you're just like desperate to find someone to carry it or to help you? You can get through life without God, but it, man, I'm telling you, it is broken. Some of you guys know that. You feel it. You experience it. You're in it. So if you reflect on life and you realize, man, I couldn't have done that without you, God. I needed you. Then there is a dependency on God. That's how we were created to be. God is God and we're not. We depend on him. And if we need him, then we can't do life without him. Sorry, Satan, that, that last temptation doesn't work. And if we need to depend on him, then let's move it backwards. If we need to depend on him... And his character is good and has proven itself time and time and time again, then logically God will do what he said he'll do because he's good and he wants the best for us. There's nothing that he's trying to hold back from us. This tree that Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat from, it's not because it was somehow a better life and God is like playing this cruel joke that's like, I created the cosmos and the world and everything in it and all the animals and place you here just so I could hold out on you. <laughs> like, it's not some cruel, evil joke. It seems to be that restraint is actually a healthy part of a relationship with God. Hey guys, all this is yours, but this one thing, don't touch it. It's bad for you. It won't help you. Trust me. Depend on me. Trust me. I love you. I'm good and I want your good. And if that's true, then we can go back over to one. If I need God and he's proven himself to be true then his word is also true. He wouldn't lie. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't deceive. We may not like it all the time. We may really want to bite out of that tree. We may really feel like we're missing out. But it doesn't mean that he's lying. It doesn't mean that he's wrong. If we need him, he's proven to be good, then his word is also good. The enemy knows if he can get us to question this, then it seamlessly will flow into the others. But we need God. God is good. God's word is good. The temptation of independence, the temptation of pride, the splinter in our mind festers when we think, man, we don't need him. It's, we start to doubt God's word. We start to doubt the, the authenticity and the accuracy of God's word. And, and man, I'm not going to lie. There have been so many people throughout history that have manipulated this book and used it to their own agendas. But they're not God. People who twist God's word are not actually preaching God's word. God's word is good. 
God's character is good. And we need God. That's the relationship he set up. When we begin to think we don't, the splinter comes in. So how do we get rid of the splinter? Submit to God's word. Trust God's character. Reflect on God's work. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. Jesus, my heart is heavy. Uh, so many friends and family and dear students of mine who have these splinters in their heads. Doubt can be good. Wrestling, asking good questions can be good. Strengthens our faith as we move forward. But these splinters fester. And I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is internalize them and be silent about them until the infection's too far gone. God, we will be tempted at times to question your word, question your character, and question our need of you. And it can be so easy to buy into that. And so I pray that you would help us reflect on your work in our lives. All these moments where we were certain it was you at work, certain it was you getting us through, certain it was you guiding us. I pray that we would reflect on your character, trust your character, how good you are, how good you've been. And I pray that we would submit to your word because it's good for us. We may not always feel it, but it's good for us. And it's proven itself over time. Jesus, we ask these things that you would help heal these splinters in our mind. We ask these things in your name. Amen.